come to the Scripture this morning, and I'm going to be reading two passages as we take a look uh, once again at our vision, and particularly this morning, our call to discipleship, to receive discipleship, to provide discipleship for others. And this morning, I'm going to be reading the two passages, Psalm 71, and then once again, a passage we looked at last week, the, the Great Commission in Matthew 28. Listen now to the word of the Lord. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me and rescue me. Incline your ear to me and save me. Be to me a rock of refuge to which I may continually come. You have given the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Rescue me, O God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of the unjust and cruel man. For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. Upon you I have leaned from before my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually before you. I have been as a portent to many, to many, but you are my strong refuge. My mouth is filled with your praise and with your daily glory all the day. Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength is spent. For my enemies speak concerning me. Those who watch for my life consult together and say, God has forsaken him. Pursue and seize him, for there is none to deliver him. O oh God, be not far from me. O oh my God, make haste to help me. May my accusers be put to shame and consumed with scorn and disgrace. May they be covered who seek my hurt. But I will hope continually and will praise you yet more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteous acts, of your deeds of salvation all the day, for their number is past my knowledge. With the mighty deeds of the Lord, God, I will come. I will remind them of your righteousness, yours alone. O oh God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to my old age and gray hairs, O oh God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. Your righteousness, O oh God, reaches to the high heavens. You who have done great things, O oh God, who is like you? You who have made me see many troubles and calamities will revive me again. From the depths of the earth, you will bring me up. You will increase my greatness and comfort me again. I will also praise you with the harp for your faithfulness, O oh my God. I will sing praises to you with the lyre, O oh most holy, O oh holy one of Israel. 
My lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you, my soul also, which you have redeemed, and my tongue will talk of your righteous help all the day long, for they have been put to shame and disappointed who sought to do me hurt. And also from from the Gospel of Matthew. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, guide us as we take your word in. Guide us as we consider it. Guide my words and all of our hearts and minds as we stand before you. We love you, Lord. Lead us now together, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. This psalm is is full of a whole lot of things, and, and I chose it this morning for that because especially of the setting. The setting is of the psalmist. We don't know who it is, but perhaps it's David in his troubled later years. And he's facing new challenges to his life and to his own faith from from outside, from others. And he stops and he looks back. You know, for him, things have been hard before, but God has been faithful. Verse 20 in the NIV says, Though you have made me see troubles many and bitter, you will restore my life again. From the depths of the earth, you will again bring me up. You will increase my honor and comfort me once more. He looks back and he sees God's work, but then he also looks forward. He's going to keep praying and trusting, and following, and worshiping, and he's, going to, and he's going to pass on the story of God's faithfulness to other generations. Verse 18 and 19, he writes, even when I'm old and gray, do not forsake me, my God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who are to come. Your righteousness, God, reaches to the heavens. Who, you who have done great things, who is like you, God? David, the psalmist, he is going to continue to be a disciple. And he's gonna be a disciple who disciples. We are in a season as a church of looking forward and beginning to move forward. 
and the challenges ahead, they are absolutely significant, and we'll name them in time as we continue to face them, the, all, these, all the different kinds of challenges, the, the, the cultural challenges that we'd heard of the, some of the financial ones before us this morning, the sociological, the relational, the, the physical, pretty much every kind of challenge that we face. But we're not going to spend whole sermons focused on them. That would just simply leave us walking out of here deflated. When, like the psalmist, we can recognize them, but then focus on God's faithfulness as we move ahead. But even recognizing them, uh, all those challenges, I, a line from a mus the musical Hamilton came to my mind. As Americans faced the British in battle, there was a line in the, in the, in the musical that said, outgunned, outmanned, outnumbered, outplanned. The, and the psalmist reflected that, that desperation when he talks of his enemies. But here's what we do. We look around, take it all in, and see and trust God's faithfulness. And we follow. We follow wherever He's leading, even, even right into the challenges, right into the battle. And that's, that's what the vision team has been about, looking for where He is leading. It, it's the direction. It's not all the plans, but it's a focus so that we can begin now to plan effectively. And this is what we've seen. Last week, we reviewed the, the vision, and I spoke of the vision in, in four key points, and I'm going to be drilling these into you in the coming months. The four key things, the first at the heart of it is the gospel. The gospel is the heart of everything. Secondly, last week, we talked about building a culture of evangelism. The third one is hospitality, being good neighbors with our building, but, but in every way. But the last one is the one I want to focus on this morning. It is relational, multi-generational discipleship. Let me read it from the vision document. Committing to strengthen families and single adults within our community. As an important part of this community, all of us will participate in both relational and discipling experiences with these folks. We will emphasize a multi-generational approach to strengthen connections between those of various ages, cultures, ethnicities that are often separated. The heart of, of any church is the mission to disciple people as followers of Jesus, to, to grow in their faith. Last week, we looked at the need and purpose to build the culture of introducing people to, to faith. But we also need to know that we are about growing each other in faith as well. The task of, of putting together a, a, a focusing vision of a local church typically comes down to asking the question of who is it that God is calling us to reach, calling us to disciple? And then you can design ministries to, to focus on that purpose. 
And, and when you design ministries to focus on that purpose and you begin that endeavor, there's, there's two, two key things that need to happen when you ask that question of who is it that God is calling you to reach. Ask yourself who you are as a church and then who is the community surrounding you. And then we look for where do those two things meet? Where's the overlap? That's where God is calling you to. And we did the work of looking at our identity as a church in the past and the present, and two key elements emerged. First thing was that was universal. Everyone stated it everywhere we looked. A fidelity to Scripture and a love for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That was the key value for this church. And that has been the key element that has brought and kept nearly every one of you who is here. And as we said, that is going to remain a core value. That was the first point of the vision statement. But secondly, we also could look around at the past and the present and see that so many of you have connected to this church through a strong children's and youth ministry, either as parents or as kids. That's who we have been through the years. And then we also went and we looked at studies of the neighborhood as well. We looked out, and, and, and it turns out, as I, I'm sure most of you have heard, this is one of the most diverse communities in the country in every way. Generationally, it's broad. It's becoming a little younger, but it's broad. Ethnically, honestly, the whole world has shown up in Kent and Renton. And it's clear it is less and less a church-seeking culture. In some ways, when you put all this picture together, it's hard to characterize it in any particular way beyond its diversity. That said, it, it became difficult to identify a particular demographic to design for and, and pursue ministry for. But here's what we see coming together as we look both outside and inside the church. Nearly a year ago, we, we spent time working through a book that presented key characteristics of, of discipleship in the digital age. Do you remember that? It was in a book by David Kinnaman called Faith for Exiles, and he wrote of one of the characteristics of disciples in a digital age. This leads to the third pra practice of resilient disciple-making in digital Babylon. When isolation and mistrust are the norms, you could also say cultural diversity, forge meaningful intergenerational relationships. Everyone has a longing to know, to know people and to have lives intertwined with people, to have relationships where we are invested in each other, to have people to care about where we can love and be loved. Not, not even so much romantically, even the younger generation, that's less and less a main pursuit. 
but just to be known and cared for and challenged and loved and to have people to live life with. Two images came to mind when I thought of this desire, desire in relationship to discipleship. At one point in my theological education a few years ago, we looked at the history of preparing people for ministry, for being pastors or church leaders. Frankly, even for simply being mature Christian leaders. Until 150 or 200 years ago, it was always a process of apprenticeship, a process of mentorship. You learn to be a pastor or church leader by, by intentionally being connected when, with someone who was already, had already been doing it for a while. And you got, they got to know you, and you got to know them, and you'd see how everything worked, and then you'd start doing it with someone you knew that you loved and trusted standing by your shoulder and supporting you through it all. And, and that was one of the key roles of being a pastor, to introduce and train someone else in that call as well. Well, the Industrial Revolution came along, and, and the process of, of discipling in this way, of, of bringing along leaders, frankly, of education, it all changed. Instead of pastors being trained in churches by doing ministry with others, we got sent away to school. We went to seminary. This is, I, I got to tell you, I went to Princeton Seminary. The dorm of, my, uh, of the seminary was built in 1814. It's right when all this started happening. We went away to school and we were educated in ministry in classes, mostly by people who had never been in ministry. One of my favorite professors um, was a great teacher. He had, he had tried ministry right out of school and found himself not to have the patience. He was a better scholar, and he was a great teacher. A little frightening, but he was great. Diogenes Allen. I, I so appreciate him, including his name. There's a, there's a growing recognition that theological education is absolutely important for ministry, but not sufficient for it. All of us need people coming alongside of us inside the church doing ministry. The passing of information that happens in theological education is not all the preparation we need. We need the wisdom, support, and love of those who have gone before us in the church. But secondly, I also thought of a consistent refrain I heard in, during that SWAT, the SWAT meetings with many of you. This past season of ministry at Hope has seen many ministries, many programs fall away, some of them painfully, some of them quietly. But there has been a feeling of grief that has been experienced by many for some of what's been lost. But I began to realize as I was listening that what has really been felt as the loss, it's less about 
the choirs and the studies and the small groups and the family events. It's more about the people who are not here, and it's more about not having the ways, the means of connecting in the church, places to do things together, together that are meaningful so that you can make friends and become part of each other's lives. This vision recognizes the centrality of relationships in the church. And the, and the primary function of the church, making disciples, first and foremost, it's to facilitate relationships, healthy, working, broad, and discipling relationships. Finally, I think of Jesus and his ministry. The world that he came into was, was absolutely fragmented into factions of people who, who didn't get along and identified themselves against each other. Fishermen and tax collectors, zealots, sinners, Pharisees, Sadducees, Romans, the lepers and the sick. Jesus' ministry had, a good, had many good famous teaching times, but there was the traveling the stories, the, the, the healing, the eating together. They just lived life together. And he brought them together by spending time with them, inviting them into the one kingdom of God, spending his life with them and for them, for us and then sending them and us on a joint mission as his witnesses everywhere we go. Now, this connecting, this, this coming together in relationship across all the boundaries of our society, it, it's more of a challenge than ever. Some of the old ways of connecting are just, they're not going to be as effective. And, and we'll look at new ways the purpose and the outcome is the same, even if the means are going to be a little different. We'll build strategies to facilitate relationships that cross some of the hardest boundaries of our society and connect us as disciples of Jesus together. Not just passing on information, but being connected through the ups and downs of life, equipped together and not alone. That's what I see in this psalm. We'll include strategies to reach families with children and youth, rebuilding programs that have been a strength in the past. I got to tell you, Reuben has been one of the great joys of my time being here. But part of that joy is that he works not just well with kids, but with young adults and us old folks as well. Dan and Melody Lothian have restarted the children's ministry coming out of COVID, and it has been slowly, consistently growing. And we need more help as we continue to grow it. But it's been bringing new families once again into the church, 
to the place where we're looking to hire leadership in the new year that can continue to grow it further. Both of those places we're going to continue to invest, but we also recognize that there's a growing population of people who aren't married or have children around us, and they need family-like connections in their lives and encouragement, support, and direction in their relationship with God as well, as well as a place to show us where God is working in their lives and in their world, things all of us need to know and be encouraged by. And the strategies may look less like industrial age consolidation of education. People are finding it hard to commit to weekly anything for the purposes of garnering information. There's easier paths to that these days. You can ask any question and just look it up on YouTube. But we will invest Every, anyone will invest if they know someone is going to personally invest in them and that they can be a benefit to someone else. We'll be there for that. It may look like, it may look like times long ago when people were intentionally connected for the purpose of growing in faith and character rather than classes We may have very small groups brought together by, oh, a variety of things, as well as working groups for a focused purpose, whether it's to clean the parking lot or maybe go to games or concerts or talk about books or movies or podcasts or health issues or prayer. I got to tell you, all of those things have been happening already in this church informally. But we'll have means of getting to know each other better and become a part of each other's lives, intentionally living and growing together. The strength of this church has been that many many of you have gotten to know each other through the years and become a part of each other's lives. And you know the value of that. We need to be intentional about doing that with others, to invite them in. With those who may be younger or older, from a different culture or background or generation, but needing to be loved and and to have someone that they care about be here. Many years ago now, I heard a principle that someone wasn't securely a part of a church until they had seven significant relationships that connected them to that church. Now, I don't know if it would still these days take that many. My guess is it would only take two or three people where all of you were committed to the church. But the principle remains. Look around. How can we get to know each other in meaningful ways. The next stage of the transition is is twofold. First is to put together the PNC and pursue the next leader. We, We started that a week ago, and we elected the PNC. And their first meeting is the Friday, the week after Thanksgiving. Keep praying for the PNC as they start their work. 
But at the same time, we, we begin to put together strategies to pursue vision, the vision. And we'll be doing that in the coming season. And the plan is that we'd be continuing to work on this, these strategies, when a new pastor arrives so that they can jump in and give leadership to a moving ship whose course is set. But for now, we don't have to wait. With that vision in mind, we, we can start at a very, very personal level. Start with this. Reach out and invite someone to do something with you. You don't need to wait for church programs to be built to do that. For instance, read the Bible with someone or two or three. We're coming to the end of the year. If you're really ambitious, read through it with some others and then get together regularly and, and talk about it. I do it every year. I'd love to join you. Honestly, in my office this morning, I get, got here early, and I go through a program that I read five days a week, and I, I got ahead by just reading more days a week. And I had two days left this morning, and I thought, you know, I'm, I'm headed off tomorrow morning to, uh, to, to fly to Pittsburgh and to, to be with my son, and then we're going to drive to Indiana to be with my wife and her family, and a bunch of us will be together for Thanksgiving this coming week. And I thought, I got two days left in the year to read, and uh, I don't need to take the Bible that I've been reading through and pack it if, if I can finish it. And so I finished those two this morning, and I'm excited. I love doing it, and I'm excited to start the next year. Find some people to read the Bible with. Go shopping together, garden or hike or ski. Maybe somebody will come see if, maybe see if somebody will come with you in a couple weeks to the, the decorating day and you can decorate the church together. I think of the psalmist. He has struggles ahead. If it's David, he has some of the toughest struggles, struggles of his life ahead of him in those last years. But he just wants to find a way to tell some who are younger than him about God's faithfulness to him in the past. Just do that. And as I said last week, listen. When you really listen, you'll see God working in them, working in others. And you'll know what to say or, or maybe what not to say. But being there will be the important thing. And we will all grow in, in character and faith together and in love for our Lord Jesus who saves us. Let's pray. Lord, the challenge is enormous. And the adventure is amazing when we see you accompanying us along in it. God, thank you for the work of the vision team that has <laughs> helped give us sight of that work that's ahead of us. But as we look closely at it, we also see the challenge of it. And we know we can't do it in our own strength. 
it is increasingly difficult to get to know people in our world. This is a work that we need your help with, just to get to know each other and find the ways to do that and then support each other and as we grow together in faith as yours. For Lord, that is our desire, to glorify you together. Lord, that's what a church is. And we are so grateful to be a part of New Hope and a part of your kingdom. Thank you for the promise of your son and his enormous, amazing call on all of us. Equip us and lead us, Lord, every step of the way and be with us forever. God, thank you. We love you. And we pray all this in the blessed name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.